Thank you, worship team, for bringing us together in Christ, our firm foundation. Mm. We're starting a new series this morning in Galatians, and it's entitled The Gospel of Freedom. That's what we, we long for when we come to Jesus. We long to be set free from sin and the curse. We come to him because we recognize our great need. And no matter what happens in this world, we have a hope that is secure because Christ does not fail. His promises are true. Everything in Jesus as he's promised is amen and yes. So no matter what storm you're in the middle of right now, no matter what you're walking through, no matter the hardships or the mountaintops, the joy in Christ, we look forward to that moment when all will be made perfect and right. And our joy, if we're on the mountaintop, is just a taste, a glimpse of the joy that you will receive when you're in his glorious presence. And the sorrows and the heartaches and the brokenness, he'll bind it all up, he'll wipe away every tear, and he'll bring you into his joy. It's for freedom that Christ has come to set us free And so Galatians is a reminder of the freedom that Christ has secured for us. And Paul is passionate about it. You see, Galatians, or Galatia is a region. It's not a church. Paul writes to churches. You know, we see that as we go through the New Testament. But when you get to the book of Galatians, he's writing to a region. He's writing to several churches in what is modern-day Turkey. And during Paul's first missionary journey, he planted, well, roughly four to six churches. And it kind of depends on the map you look at. So typically it's four churches that come out, but there there are six churches because two of them are on the coast and sometimes they don't put them in Galatians. Sometimes they do. So you can be like, Rob, my map has it and Rob, my map doesn't. Pick the one you like. Uh, But, you know, but Paul was preaching the gospel in that region of Turkey and he was planting churches. And those churches are Iconium, Lystra, Derbe, Antioch, and Pisidia. Uh, those are mentioned in Acts uh, chapters 13 and 14. So if you wanted to see the founding of those churches, you get that testimony in the book of Acts there. Uh, the two outliers that sometimes show up, sometimes don't, Perga and Atalia, they're on the southern coast of Turkey. Imagine, if you will, doing a work for 12 years, pouring everything you have into it. Maybe some of you have done it. How many of you are like, you're, you are so committed to your work. Like, even if things went bad, you're committed to it. Like, you're going to stay. You're, you're one of those lifers. Like, this is the job. I started with this company. I started with this job. I am going to be in this job. And it's like, this is it. Like, I pour, I pour everything into it. How many of you are kind of like that? Any, any of you guys? A few of you. Some of you guys are like, nope, I bounce when it's not what I want. Okay. But, I mean, my father's generation, they were, they were like lifers, committed to it. There was a, a change in our culture where uh, they stopped retiring with their corporations and getting the gold watch and all that, and now they kind of, we move around more. But Paul is one of those, if you want to Think of it that way. He's one of those that in the calling of God, he is a lifer. He's committed. He is pouring everything he has, 
all his blood, sweat, and tears is going into the call of God to plant churches, to spread the gospel. This is what Jesus called him to do. He says, this is the job, and I'm doing this job. This is it. And so he spends 12 years in that first missionary journey going through and planting churches. And then he goes back to see those people. How many of you have been walking with the Lord for 12 years or more? 12 years or more. All right. That's, that's most of us. Can you imagine meeting Paul? You don't know anything about Jesus. And he starts telling you about this beautiful Savior, this Messiah, this Jesus who came from heaven, became man, became like us, took on flesh, fully God, fully man, came to save you, to remove your guilt, your shame, your sin, to remove death as a curse, that you will have everlasting life, that you can come into the family of God, that there is one who loves you so dearly, the Father in heaven, who would send his Son to pay your penalty, to go to the cross, to, to take that punishment that the wrath of God would be poured out on sin, and he'll pour it out on his son. And all you have to do is come by faith. Just believe and receive the promise that Christ will save you. It's by grace you are saved through faith, not of your own works, lest any of us could boast. It's only by the work of God. And you say, yes, I want that. Like, who doesn't want that? I get to come into the family of God. Like, I get to have a relationship with God. So when I kneel down at night and I'm praying, because of Jesus, I know he's hearing, he's listening, he's, he's answering those prayers He's, he's in my life. He's walking with, yes, I want that. And you say yes to Paul. And so Paul starts teaching you a little bit about how to walk with Jesus and have a relationship with Jesus. And before long, he's like, well, you know, I've been here for a little bit of time. I, I need to go on because my job is to tell this to other people in this next town. And you're like, yes, that's beautiful. Go do that. And not long after he leaves, someone else comes in and they're like, he told you what? That you can just, you can just, just believe, just by faith, like, that's it. Like, you, like grace and faith, that's it. Well, I, I think Paul kind of sold it short. I think he, he's got easy beliefism on the mind here or something. Like, that's just too good to be true. Actually, what Paul left out, let me just inform you what Paul left out. Paul really should have told you that if you want to be in Christ, you have to be Jewish. Because we all know that salvation comes from the Jews, it came through Jesus Christ. So you have to become Jewish. Man, you got to be circumcised in the flesh and have the sign of the old covenant to come into the new covenant. You have to start doing the dietary laws, and you have to start making sure that you understand the weight of the Old Testament given to God's people. It applies to you. You must come in in this way. Like, I think Paul gave you a bad gospel. That's not what it, it means. You must be Jewish to become a Christian, to have favor with God. 
All of a sudden, you're worried, aren't you? I was like, well, what do I have to do? I, I'm not sure. I don't know any of these. Like, and now I have to start working. Like, and if I don't do these things, God's not going to be happy with me. He's going he's to have displeasure. He's going to bring curses on me if I don't do the right things. He's going to, and like, and you start reeling. And the next thing you know, you're, you're, you're working. You're working for salvation because you're thinking, what if I don't do this Jewish thing? What if I don't stick with it? Do I lose my salvation? Like, you just start reeling. Well, that's what happened. These Judaizers, those who followed Paul, said, no, 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 Paul is not preaching the right gospel. He's not preaching the gospel of Jesus. This is the gospel. And they changed it. They said the gospel of Jesus is, is bound in works and being Jewish, not in faith and grace alone. And so Paul writes this letter to those in the region. He says, Somebody's bewitched you. You are leaving the gospel for something that's not the gospel. It's not good news. That's what gospel means, good news. You ever, you ever get like a backhanded compliment? <laughs> that's, it's not really a compliment, is it? <laughs> Someone says something that's meant to be nice, but really they're criticizing you and putting you down? It's not a compliment. Well, what they were preaching, these Judaizers, was not the gospel. It was not good news. Hey, good news. You get to really strive and struggle and be a worm the rest of your life, and maybe God will have favor on you. Who knows? You're not really one of the chosen people, so we'll just see if you make it. But you got to be like us to have favor. That's not good news. This work theology crept in. And so Paul comes and he's... He, he writes this letter and says, we've got to straighten this out. Now, we're going to spend a lot of time looking, about, looking at the freedom that Christ gives us as we go through this letter. This morning, we're just going to look at a, a few verses and, and deal with this idea of Paul's authority and what does it mean to be an apostle and we're going to deal with some of the things swirling around some questions in our culture today about apostleship and what that means and, and, and why do we trust what Paul says? How can we trust this, this letter? So if you have a copy of God's Word, Galatians chapter 1, I'll read verses 1 and 2, and then I'm going to read verses 11 through 24. Uh, it'll be on the screen too. You can follow along. So... Uh, will you follow along with me as, as we get into this letter? Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, Paul writes this, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, <clears throat> but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. If you'll scan down to verses 11 to the end of the first chapter, I'll read that now as well. He says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it, 
and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Sicilia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us, is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. And pray with me, if you will. Father, I thank you for this letter that by the Spirit Paul penned and, and that we have this revelation given to us that, that there is good news in Jesus, in his work, what he has done. And we can have full confidence because you have spoken so clearly. So, Father, as we go through this today, help us to sort through some, some current issues and help us to have clarity and that our hope would be secure in Christ and not in any of the traditions of man. So, Father, we ask that you would Open our eyes to see, give us ears to hear. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so verses one and two, Paul says this, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. So Paul immediately says, who's writing the letter? Now, we usually wait to sign our letters, and at the end you're like, sincerely, much love, best regards, and then we put our name on it. Paul, in the tradition of what we see in this time period, puts his name right up front. I am writing to you. I, Paul, am writing to you, and I am an apostle writing to you. He puts his credentials right out there, and he says, look at who calls me an apostle. It is Christ who calls me this. He is the one who is giving me this job. He is the one whose authority I am under to preach the gospel to you. He comes right out and says, Paul, an apostle, not from men. There wasn't a committee. There wasn't a get-together. There wasn't a, well, Paul seems to be a good guy. Do you think we elevate him? No, God called him to this. God set him apart for this. So he starts with this calling from Jesus. He's been called to spread and establish teaching, <clears throat> not from men, but from Jesus. And so he establishes that authority. If we look at the book of Acts, and you start in Acts chapter 9, and you kind of go through, uh, through verses 13, or chapter 13, you get a big part of Paul's testimony of his life. And when he was Saul, he was persecuting the church. He's talking to us about that in, in, this, 
in this passage. He said, I was persecuting the church. He was going into houses and dragging people out and having them arrested and having them thrown in jail and fined. And he was dragging them before the Sanhedrin. And he was having them kicked out of the synagogue. Listen, you get kicked out of your community, you are destitute. You don't have anyone to help you. And he was kicking people out of their community. The Romans aren't going to help the Jews. And the Jews aren't going to help those who followed Christ because they've been excommunicated from the synagogue. Paul was making sure of it, persecuting them. And we see that it culminates with him holding the garments of several of the men as they pick up stones to go kill Stephen. He's complicit in it. He's the one who drags Stephen before the people and have him on trial. And he gives a great testimony of who Christ is. And in the end, they say, oh, it's blasphemy. And they take him out and they stone him. And Paul stands there holding their cloaks, persecuting the church. And so when we get to chapter 9, he's on his way to Damascus. He has orders in hand. I'm going to get to that city and I'm going to do to them there what I've been doing back home here. And I'm going to drag them out, zealous for the traditions of the fathers. He says, I am going to go and purge this cult called the way out of Judaism. And so that's, that's, his, that's what he's doing. And on the way, Christ meets him on the road. Knocks him off the, the donkey he is riding. There's a bright light. And Jesus speaks to him from heaven and says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He says, me. Jesus identifies with his bride, the church. See, see, Paul is going after the followers of Jesus, the church. Take courage. Jesus feels in heaven what you go through. When people come after you, when they malign you, when they viciously attack you, when they slander you, when they backbite, when they work behind the scenes and do things to you, Jesus sees it, he feels it, and he says to Saul, What you're doing to the church, you're doing this to me, to my body. Like, I see this. Why are you persecuting me? And so, of course, Saul's like, who are you? Like, who is this? He's like, Jesus of Nazareth. This is who I am. And so he is struck blind, and he goes into the city, and Ananias uh, is there. And we read in Acts 13, verses 1 through 3. Now there were in the church, oh, I jumped way ahead. Go back a slide. Don't let them read ahead. Um, so he, he goes into the city, Ananias uh, prays for him, prays over him, and then Paul starts sharing the faith. And people want to kill Paul. So the brothers are like, let's get him out of town. They lower him out of Uh, a hole in the wall at night because people are at the doors of the city wanting to kill Paul. They're waiting for Paul to come by, so they lower him in a basket. Can you imagine that scene? It's like, all right, buddy, we're going to take this rope, put you, and we're going to lower you down. He's like, you're not going to drop it, are you? (laughs) No, no, we got you. Yeah, they lower him down at night. He leaves. He goes to Jerusalem, actually, and he's there, and the people are afraid of him. They're like, I don't, this guy, uh uh-uh. And so, he has some interactions. Barnabas comes along and says, hey, this guy really has been converted. This guy really is preaching Jesus. And they say, okay, 
Well, that's beautiful. But he doesn't stay in Jerusalem long because once word gets out that Paul is there, the Jews there want to kill him. So what do they do? They're like, all right, you know what? We've got to get this guy out of Dodge. So they take him down to the coast, and they send him on to Tarshish. So he's there, sitting, waiting for God to call him to something else. He's, he's just there. In Acts 13, let's go to that now. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them off. So he's in Tarshish. How does he get to Antioch? Well, Barnabas is sharing the gospel, doing what God has called Barnabas to do. He's the son of encouragement. He is the man who just encourages everybody. I mean, he's like my brother here, Mark. Like, if you're around him, I just, you encourage, I just love being around you, brother. He is just an encourager. You're just like, I just like being around Barnabas. Well, Barnabas is sharing the gospel. He gets to Antioch. He's like, whoa, this job's bigger than, than I can handle. He goes and gets Paul and says, you come with me. They sit there in Antioch and they teach and preach and they encourage the fellowship. They train the fellowship. They're preaching the gospel. And in a worship service, the Holy Spirit says, set those two men apart. I have work for them to do. Called of God, not of men. I mean, they're, they're just worshiping and praying. It's, it's a Wednesday or Saturday night prayer meeting like we have here at the church. We just gather together and we just... We worship a little bit, and we're just praying, and God, what would you have us pray for? What's on, what's on our hearts? And we're just praying, and we're just, you know what, let's just be together. Let's worship, let's fast, let's pray for the direction of God, for our fellowship, for our community. And that's all they're doing. They're just praying. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit comes and lays on the hearts of those there to set apart two men. Can you imagine that moment? These are the guys who've built up the church there. These are your two big leaders of the church. Like Barnabas shows up and starts teaching and preaching, says, I need another pastor. He goes and gets Paul. Paul comes and he's like the associate pastor, right? And so they're there, this pastoring and shepherding this flock and going at, and they're like, let's have a prayer meeting. They all sit down and then somebody says, I don't, I don't know, but okay, you guys just tell me if this resonates with you. I'm not sure, but I think the spirit is saying that we should kick our pastor and associate pastor out, that they need to go do something else. <laughs> like, I think God has work for them to spread the gospel. And it's good to everyone, because they're thinking, yeah, I'm sensing that too. Like, I'm feeling, like, they're confirming it. They're discerning together. Is this the will of God? Yes, we're hearing together as a body, discerning together as a body. This really is the will of God for these two men. And the, and the two men are saying, yes, they're discerning. And they're like, I believe this. This is what I want to do. It's burning within me. So that's Paul. He says, I started this venture. That's my first missionary journey. And I went around Galatia preaching the gospel, preaching the good news. And these other people came in and troubled those who were receiving Jesus. Set apart, not by men, but by God. So these guys who are coming in after Paul, what they're doing, the reason he has to say he's an apostle 
established by Christ is because those who are coming in, they're questioning and challenging Paul and his teachings on, on the gospel of grace by faith. They said, he's not an apostle. He's not a leader. He's not one of the 12 that walked with Jesus. Who are you? This guy's not right. And he says, no, no, I was established by Christ himself, set apart for this work. So Paul laid out how he was called, and that's what we read in verses 11 through 24. And I'm just going to fly over. I'm not going to read through it because I'm only on page two of my notes. So, um, But he talks about how God worked in his life, how he persecuted the church, and how he was set apart, and then how he went aside and spent time with Jesus, was relearning the scriptures, and then came back to Damascus. And so here he says that I, I went then later and I presented that gospel to the brothers. Those approved. <laughs> I presented what I was teaching and they, they're giving it full acceptance and credence. They're saying, yeah, that is the gospel of Jesus. That is the teaching of Jesus. That is what we preach. That is what we believe. That is how we're saved. And so he is letting the church know, like, I have come because God has called me to this and brought me here, and, and you need to hear this message and not depart from it because there's no other way to be saved. There's no other good news. There's only one. So by an actual encounter with Jesus, he uh, is, is set apart. And we see that again. I mentioned Ananias in Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 16. Here's Ananias who, who can confirm that God is working in Paul's life to set him apart. He says, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. How much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So here, Ananias, in a vision from God, is seeing the, the call of God on Paul's life well before we get to Antioch. So God has this calling. He's setting Paul apart for something amazing. I'm going to put this little nugget or the seed in your head. God is setting you apart and calling you into something amazing too. We'll talk about that a little bit later. So this word apostle, it means sent one. It means one who is sent. That's just the broad 
definition of that word. That's, and and it's, it can have a unique meaning or it can have a very general meaning. Uh, in a unique way, we see that Jesus also carries the title apostle. Look at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Well, how is it that Jesus is an apostle? Well, he is a sent one from the Father. He has been sent from the Father to come and do the work which brings us salvation, to call us into relationship with God. So Paul is a sent one. Christ was an apostle. So here he's saying, I am an apostle of Jesus. I'm under the authority of the one who sent him. I'm constrained to do what he has set me apart to do. So Paul being sent to the Gentiles, he's determined to spread the gospel to all who were within the Roman Empire. He wants to go to all of the reach of the Roman Empire, of the known world at that time. And he has a hope of one day making it to Spain before he would be martyred. So Paul was a sent one. He was a an apostle. Now, in today's context, in our culture today, some use this word to describe themselves or, or others, and they expect it to carry the same authority as Paul or Peter or the others. But I think we have to ask this question, are there apostles today like there were in the early church? like in the early church? Are there apostles today like in the early church? So this answer, actually, we, we have to handle it with some care and discernment. You know, we can't just be too quick to say yes or no in any particular way. So let's, let's kind of look at this. Apostles in the early church were established by Christ after his resurrection. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 5 through 9. It says this, and then he appeared to Cephas, who is the he? That's Jesus. Jesus, after his resurrection, he appears to Cephas, or Peter. Then to the twelve, so that's his disciples. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles." unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And so what we see here is that Jesus, after his resurrection, he appeared to a group of men. So was just the 12 the apostles? Well, the 12 were apostles. They're all sent ones. But he wouldn't list here, Paul would not list here, he appeared to the 12 and then he appeared to the apostles. There's, there's a distinction being made. Paul is saying, I was appeared to, in a revelation of Jesus, I am untimely born. I wasn't in that appearing with that group, but he appeared to that group. Was it the 12? Yeah. Could there have been others? Well, yeah, I think so, because we have in one passage where he says, I went up to Jerusalem and I didn't see any of the apostles except Peter and James, the Lord's brother. So he, he lumps James in as an apostle. And we see, we see that. There's another passage that, that kind of puts Barnabas in as an apostle. But, but Jesus appeared to them, and he selected them, and he called them. These men in the early church had a special calling, a special selection. These are apostles with a capital A. Let's put it that way. So Jesus has appeared to them and revealed to them their calling to take the teaching, 
to lay the foundation. Their role was to establish the gospel, the good news, and, and teach all that Christ had taught. They are the foundation on which the church is laid. Look at Matthew 16, 18. Jesus says this to Peter. And I tell you, you are Peter, which means pebble or small stone. And he says, and on this rock, which is boulder in the Greek. So you can kind of see the, the scene there. He's talking to Peter. He says, you're a pebble, but on this rock, I'll build my church. And the gates of hell will not overcome it. What is he saying? It's the confession. It's the teaching. It's the gospel of Jesus. He says, on myself, on the teaching that I've given, on the gospel, the, the breaking of my body, the shedding of my blood, I will build my church and hell will not overcome it. So these men are establishing that foundation. They're laying that foundation, the orthodoxy that we call Christianity. What we say is right and good, what we should follow. They're putting down the the guidelines, the, the guardrails. They're, they're giving us the parameters. That's what these apostles are doing. So this foundation, once laid, does not need to be laid again. So that's what's happening in Galatia. These guys are coming in and they're changing the gospel. They're saying, the foundation you have is faulty. We need to tear that up and we need to re-pour your foundation. Anybody have foundation issues in your house and ever had someone tell you you need to relay a foundation or you or we just need to jack up your house. They talk like it's no big deal. You know what we do? We just come in here. We're just going to jack up your house by two feet, and then we'll just shift it over, and we'll redo that. And It's not that easy. There's, we don't need to relay a foundation. We don't need to relay a foundation. They have already done that. And in fact, we must not. That's why he writes the book, or this letter, we, we must not redo it because then we don't have the good news. We've changed it. It's become bad news. So, there, so are there apostles today? Are there apostles today adding or bringing new revelation apart from Scripture that's binding on the conscience of all people in all places for all generations to come? No. See, these apostles set the teaching of the church. It's binding on all people, all places, all time. But are there apostles today? Well, if we define an apostle as a sent one, then there are apostles today. They, they do not minister in the same way. What makes it hard to discern is that broad way in which the word apostles used in the New Testament. So Jesus uses the word apostle. Stalkin from Apostello in John 20, 21. So we read this in John 20, 21. He says, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. This is just a general, I'm just sending you out. It's the same kind of idea that we get from the command of the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 and 19, where he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, go therefore. He's just saying to the church, go. It's a general call, right? So this word apostle could just be, I'm sending you. It's not a title. It's not a position. It's just, I'm sending you. That's just how the word's used. Or go. I want you to go and, and, and tell people about Jesus. It's that general sense. So if we're thinking, though, of modern apostles like in Ephesians 4.11, which says this, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Well, he's equipped the church. He's given to the church 
apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers. If we're going to think about modern-day apostles in this context, who are these that are listed here, these ministry positions that, that God is using to build his bride, the church, I would define it like this. Modern-day apostles are visionary leaders who are missional. They're fathering or pioneering a movement. They're often marked by their focus on gospel expansion beyond a lo one local region. Such leaders are marked by their function, whether or not they use the term apostolic and whether or not they're Pentecostal or charismatic brothers. We know people like this, don't we? They just have a heart for reaching a region, reaching an area. Maybe you know some that are called to the St. Croix Valley and they've been praying for this region and they just do everything they can to bring the gospel. They are, they're sent ones to this region, to this area. We call them missionaries in the Baptist church. Think of it that way. Who are the sent ones? Well, we've sent a whole bunch of people, haven't we, out of the bridge? And we're getting ready to send 13 more to Brazil. Those are the sent ones. Why? Because they have a heart for a region, for a people, for the gospel ministry in that area. They're, they're going in there and they want to see Christ exalted. He has set them apart for a certain time, for a mission, for that moment. And we need them in the church. The apostles build up the church. These missionaries, they build up the church. I'm using that term interchangeably. They're sent ones. They're, they're used to strengthen. They teach and they preach the gospel. So that means that while modern apostles are important for the well-being and mission of the church, just as evangelistic, uh, prophetic, pastoral, and teaching ministries are important, those are all important, we would not say that an apostle or a sent one today carries the same authority as the early church apostles. They're not giving us new scripture. They're not giving us new revelation. They're not binding our conscience to something that is not given to us in the word of God. Nor would we say that whole churches must be submitted to an apostle's leadership in order to be right before the Lord. I mean, think about it. He's writing to Paul's writing to a bunch of churches in the region of Galatia, and he says, what I'm saying to you, you must obey. You must believe. You must receive it. You must be under that authority because it comes from God. He's given it to me by the Holy Spirit. I've written it down. I've sent it to you. So as an apostle, you're under my authority. I would say apostles, modern-day apostles today, sent ones who would come into this region. If someone said, I have been sent into the St. Croix Valley, I would welcome them and receive them and want to hear what God has for them, but they have no authority over the bridge other than what we would give them. Much like with Converge. Converge came in and was helping us mediate. They have no authority over our church other than what we gave them. So modern-day apostles, if they are in our area, hey, they could be a catalyst to us to reach Somerset. But are we under their authority? Can, can they come in and say, thus saith the Lord, and bind our conscience? No, that's not their role. That's not what they do. Now, you may disagree with me on this, but this is what I believe about these things here. So, with this understanding, we affirm that the 
fullness of the body working together for the growth of the church and the expansion of the kingdom, which is 1 Corinthians 12, 12, that body working together, as well as holding up the, the full sufficiency of scriptures as our guide for life and godliness, 2 Timothy 3.16, 2 Peter 1.3. And scripture, not only is it our guide for life and godliness, it is our plumb line that measures all our experiences and all of our ministries. So back to the opening, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God, the Father who raised him from the dead. It's Christ who calls it's Christ who calls us, but not just into service. So I said, what is, God has something for you. He's calling you into something. I believe that. But it's not just into service. There, you have to see the great picture of what Christ has done and how he calls. So God calls us first to himself, to have a relationship with him. He calls us to be saved. He calls us to be redeemed. He calls us into his family. He adopts us in through Christ. He calls us to be like the prodigal son, to run home, to run home to our heavenly father, to, to be saved. So Christ calls us. Romans 8, 29 and 30, just one scripture that kind of points to that. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. He's calling you home to be conformed to the image of the son and to be glorified and to enter his joy. First calling is Jesus saying, come, receive. Believe by faith in all that he's done. When we take the Lord's table, it's, it's his work. Body broken, blood shed, by faith we come. The call of God, receive new life, everlasting life. The second thing is Christ calls us as we come by faith and believe. He calls us into a deeper union with him. Usually you would come and receive Christ and then what's the next step? even though we don't always take it. What's the next step after you believe? What should you do? Baptize, yeah, go to baptism, right? Like, believe and be baptized, right? Like, that's just, I'm identifying with him. I'm coming into a relationship with him. I don't know what it is in, in the, I think it's more of the American church. We, we've kind of separated those. It's like, believe and then go through a class six months later and then be baptized after you've got, no, it's just, I have faith and I want to be joined with him. I believe I should be baptized, much like, uh, the Ethiopian, look, there's water. What prevents me? I believe. It's like, yeah, be joined in that relationship. He calls us into a deeper relationship with him. And baptism, and it's written in this way in Romans chapter 6, that union, it says, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. This idea of we're just joining with him, we're, we're identifying with him, we're just we're having this intimate connection. Baptism, yes, it is a public display of your faith. And sometimes we get there where we say, baptism is just this display of my faith in Jesus. Baptism is me drawing near. Baptism is me identifying. There's something really powerful about baptism. It's saying, as you were buried, 
my old man was buried. As you were put in the grave, Rob was put in the grave. As you have come back to life, I am back to life. Like, I want to share that with everybody, but that is this calling into a, a union with him, deeper relationship with God. So we follow him in that calling. But then we're all called, so we're called to receive him. We're called to be joined with him more intimately. We're, as we're joined with him, he calls us into fruitful and faithful life. Galatians 5.22 to have the fruit of the Spirit coming out of us. So as we're joining with Christ and we're walking with Him more deeply, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control starts coming out. Why? Because we're walking with the Savior who is all of those things. And He's bringing that out of us. The Holy Spirit refined us. Why? Because we are being conformed to the image of the Son. That's His plan to change us. So this comes out, we're called to have this fruitful life. Ephesians 4.1 says this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, so Paul got thrown in jail, and he's writing to the church in Ephesus, I urge you, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. What's he saying? Walk in fruitfulness. Walk in faithfulness. Jesus, who died for you, gave you new life. Do whatever he calls you to do. Walk in the fullness of what Jesus has for you. Why? Because You'll know him more intimately. You'll experience his love more deeply. He's like, walk with Jesus. Walk with the Savior. He says it to the Thessalonian church, 1 Thessalonians 2.12. says the same thing. We exhorted each of you uh, and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. He's called you into his glory. That's his presence. So live a life with him. See, don't separate that. Mm. So often we, we, we compartmentalize. We're like, I'm going to live for Jesus without Jesus. No, no, no. He's like, come with me, friend. Come on, let's join arms. Let's talk. Let's walk down the road together. You're going through life. I'm with you. I never leave you or forsake you. You're like, no, I got this, Jesus. I can do this. No, he's, he's calling you into that relationship together. Walk in a manner worthy because he's called you into his glory, into his presence. He wants to be with you in all of it, and he wants to bring this out. One more thing he calls us to, to share this with people. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them all that I have uh, commanded you. And behold, I'm with you even till the end of the age. Once he, we're to share Jesus. Now, all of these we share in common. All of those calls. So if we're called into Jesus and we've said yes, then he's called us into deeper intimacy with him. He's called us into fruitful living. He's called us to share the gospel. We all have that call if we are in Christ. There's not a single one who can say, well, he didn't call me to have the fruit of the Spirit. He did. We all have that call. These are calls of God on the life of the believer. We all have this. But you're also called into deeper service meant just for you. Ephesians 2.10, it says this, you're his workmanship. Does anybody know what that word workmanship means? Well, another word for it? I heard it. Masterpiece. We're his masterpiece. You have come into Jesus. I don't know if God loves me. You're his masterpiece more valuable than any artwork at the Louvre. 
more precious. You're his masterpiece. He created you for what? Good works. In Christ Jesus, you have become a masterpiece, and he's prepared beforehand these good works that we should walk in them. He's got something for you, in mind for you to do. Romans 12, 4 through 8 says this. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, okay, we're a masterpiece, different functions, he's created us in different ways. I'm sure not many of you want to do what I'm doing right now, (laughs) standing up here. This is what he's created me to do. All right, so what's the function through different ways? The one, our one body in Christ and individually members of one another having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service uh, in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Paul says, Whatever that good gift is, however he's created you, however you're wired, those things, give it to God and let him use it to the portion of your faith. And you would say, well, I'm really not there yet. You know, like I'm still trying to explore it. I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm, you know, if I grow a little more, maybe take a couple more classes and maybe if I do this, then I'll step into that ministry when I reach that next level. We, We do this game, don't we? We're just not qualified yet. Okay. So the disciples were with Jesus on the mountainside. There's a multitude of people, and he says, give them something to eat. And they're like, all we got is a couple of fish and some bread. He's like, well, why don't you just give me that? Your act of service, just give the master whatever you have. And just like when he fed the multitude, he can use it to do miraculous, marvelous, beautiful things for the kingdom of God. Just surrender what you have today. And as you grow, you have more to give. You have more that you can walk in. But it's that step of faith, walking in that calling. He is calling you to something. So as we take the Lord's table in just a minute, I'm going to pray for you about God's calling in your life. And then we're going to celebrate the one who saves us and calls us. So where are you in your calling? That's my question this morning. Where are you in your calling? Maybe you need to receive Jesus. Maybe you've never come to him and received him. Well, he's calling. He's saying, come, be saved, be made new, receive everlasting life. Let me take your punishment and set you free. Maybe your calling is to walk more in a deeper relationship Maybe saying, hey, you need to take that step. Identify with me more. Hey, you should be baptized. We'll do that when we have a picnic coming up in the next month, those who need to be baptized. Hey, take that. Maybe he's pressing that on you. You're like, yeah, I should do that. I need to identify more with him. I need to come into more relationship with him, a deeper relationship. Maybe he's calling you to fruitfulness, to put off sin and the flesh and to grow in the spirit, to have the fruit coming out of your life that you so long for. Maybe that's the calling. Hey, I'm asking you to walk in faithfulness here, to newness of life in this. Take that step. Maybe he's asking you to go and share Christ with people. Maybe you're, 
You've been sitting all week thinking, man, I just really want to share Jesus with that guy. <laughs> and every time I get to work, I chicken out. I don't know, but like, I just really want to tell him about it because, man, he needs Jesus. Take that step. He's calling you. He will be with you. He will help you in those moments. Maybe he's calling you into something deeper, a deeper service. Maybe you've had a ministry or something on your heart that you feel like, God, I just feel like I'm supposed to do this. I don't know, I don't, I just, but for some time it's been on my heart, on my mind. Answer that call. Where are you in your calling? And then after you listen to the Spirit, come and take communion. This is where we're all joined as one in Christ here. By his body and by his blood we are all made new. This is how we have unity is in Christ through what he has done. So the one who calls you, the one who's going to meet with you in just a moment as you're praying silently in your chair, asking him what the next step of faith is, he is going to be the one that you come and celebrate. By his body and his blood, we have new life. We have forgiveness of sins. If you have not received Jesus, this isn't for you. This is for the church. This is a celebration of the cross, of the good news, that we didn't have to add anything to it. He did it for us. And this is why Paul is so zealous for it. Don't add to this message. Don't take away from this message. He said, walk in the fullness of it because he who calls you is faithful. Don't go after other things. Go after Jesus. Will you stand with me? I'll pray. I'm going to pray for your calling and I'm going to pray for the Lord's table. And then when you're ready, you can come and take it. Father, I thank you. I thank you just for your goodness. We see Paul's zeal to, to talk to the church and say, this gospel is the only gospel, don't leave it. So for some of us, God, I, I pray that if we have not come and received Christ as our Savior, that we would do that today. That we would just say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner, forgive me. I welcome you as my Savior. Forgive my sins and give me eternal life. That I believe that you came from heaven, took on flesh, and died for me on the cross. That you were dead and buried and rose again to secure this promise. And I receive it. Maybe for some of us that calling God is to walk in more intimate ways. Holy Spirit, just show us how we need to come near and know you more. The calling to, to bear more fruit. Spirit, again, show us those areas that we just need to surrender so you will be glorified to calling us into sharing this good news with others around us. Father, would you place people on our hearts and give us the courage to walk by faith and take that message to them. And Father, the courage to say yes to the calling of special service, whatever that is, whatever you call us to, to say yes and take those steps of faith. So I pray for your church, your bride, to answer the call. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would just reveal it in our hearts and that we would say yes. And then as we come, we celebrate the Lord's table, the body broken, the blood shed, and we proclaim the goodness of Jesus and the gospel until he returns. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening. The Bridge Bible Church stands to exalt the name of Jesus. 
We seek to be a community that gives glory to Christ above all things and welcomes all people to join us in worshiping Him. If you don't have a church home, consider visiting ours. We are ordinary people who want to live life with authentic faith. For more information on how to get connected, deepen your faith, and experience what God has for you, please visit our website at thebridgewire.com.